to our reading of Psalm 119 that we're going to be opening tonight. Psalm 119, beginning there at verse 121. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 121. Again, give careful attention. This is the word of God. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act. For your law has been broken. Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Amen. This is God's holy word. I want to begin tonight by asking you a question. Do you sing? Quite an obscure question to ask a congregation on a, at 5.20 on a Sunday night after having just sung two hymns. But I ask you, do you sing? Some of us have a tendency to sing in some of the most random places. If a tune comes on the radio or it comes through our Spotify some who work with me will know that at times I can begin to sing little jingles along the corridor. And please don't ask them what that is. It may be embarrassing for me. Even my own children can testify that if they say something, by the end of it, I most likely will have a song that ties in to what we've just been, been speaking about. But what should the Christian sing? kind of a broad question to ask. I'll narrow it in a little bit more. What do Christians sing in their misery and in their times of trials? That might seem like an absurd question to ask. Perhaps the thought of a broken-hearted, lonely, or despairing Christian is so absurd that it's unthinkable. And yet as I look out, there may be some here this evening who are brokenhearted and who are going through trials. The world will say, surely you Christians have it all together. And yet I ask that question again. Christian, what do you sing in your times of trial? As we've been making our way through Psalm 119, this great psalm concerning God's word and the blessing that it brings to us, we need to remember something. Although a covenantal celebration of God's faithfulness to his people 
and the great security that is this word brings, these prayers and these stanzas and these songs are drenched in themes of affliction, of despair, of suffering, and of oppression. As I read this psalm in preparation to bring this to you this evening, that is what stood out for me. Affliction, despair, suffering, and oppression. So I ask you again, what do Christians sing in their misery? Do miserable Christians have anything to sing about? You see, how we see ourselves in relationship to our God will affect how we think and how we act. If we think God exists to serve us, we'll treat him, and if I can say this as reverently as possible, like that genie in the sky. We will only seek him when it suits us. We will be seeking self-praise, the praise of men, telling everyone and everything the things that we have done so that we can gain their praise. But if, on the other hand, we believe we exist to serve and to worship him, we will be quick to listen to his word, to obey his commands, and to raise our voices in praise to him. No matter, no matter what comes across our path. This will make us think more of our great God than of ourselves. But this portion that we've read also shows us something else. It shows us Christ. Matthew 10, 24 says that a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. As our master, Jesus, provides our example as that great servant. And the word servant occurs 14 times in Psalm 119. And children, if you've been listening well, you'll notice that in the stanza that we just read, it's been written down three times. Basically, the Bible tonight is teaching us of Christ. These words capture the essence of the stanza that we have just read. They tell us of pain, of anguish, of trial. And yet, on the other hand, they show us Christ. This evening, may this psalm characterize us who call Christ as our master those of us who try to walk in his footsteps. This evening, I want to see our relationship to God in being those faithful servants. And when the going gets tough, when the trials come, sing, sing, sing. As we open up this tonight, I'm going to do it under three headings. First of all, pursuing righteousness amidst suffering. Second of all, the pledge of good. And then thirdly, bandaged by 
the word. First of all, pursuing righteousness amidst suffering. According to one commentator in the Psalms, God has given the church a language which allows it to express even the deepest agonies of the human soul. And it does it in relation to worship. The deep agony of the human soul that we read off here begins there in verse 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. It's that of pursuing righteousness. Pursuing holiness through suffering. Christian, believer, we are called to live holy lives. Lives that are set apart. Lives that are free from sin, from, from pride, from purity, from hatred. And the list could go on and on. Some of us here tonight may even be thinking like the psalmist, but I have done what is just and right. Some of us have pursued, pursued what is just. Yes, imperfectly, because none of us here are perfect. We have sought the Lord and pleaded for humility. We have fought the temptation with our eyes against impurity. We have been content with the things that God has given us. We have sought justice where possible. We have loved those who are not like us. We have surrounded ourselves with God's people. We have meditated upon his word day and night. And yet, even while living the Christian life, at times, at times in our own soul, we can think we are left open and bare and vulnerable. And just like the psalmist, we've been left to our oppressors. But we haven't been left alone. Because look what 122 says. Give your servant a pledge of good. He's crying out, God, give me something to hold on to. Give me something that in the times when I feel left and open that I can cling on to. What should you sing? What should Christians sing in their misery? Lord, give your servant a pledge of good. Perhaps you've been left to your oppressors. Perhaps you have a boss that at times you feel is impossible to please. Perhaps you're feeling those pressures, you young people, especially to conform to the social and cultural expectations of the days that we live in. If you're not on social media, if you're not on TikTok, if you're not Snapchatting one another, then the world says, who are you? And yet, young person who believes in God, stand firm. At times as Christians, we can get to the point where our prayer is simply, God, deliver me. Our eyes are like the psalmist that we read off in verse 123. Our eyes, as it were, are, are, are wasting away, waiting for God's salvation. Suffering at times people can think of 
as embarrassing. They think pain and suffering and oppression and loneliness is something that's embarrassing. They keep it to themselves. But it's not. This is not how we are supposed to think. And it's especially not how the church of God should think. We have people in our congregation who are hurting and suffering. Do we even know about those things? Do you even know of that person down the street who needs help? Or are we so developed in our own little bubble that we do not see the needs of others? Church in these days, look around. For this great and glorious bride of Christ was ransomed at the expense of that suffering servant. That one who paid the price on our behalf, behalf, nailed to a tree, forsaken. And so as a church, and as men and women of the church, we ought to embrace not only the sufferings of ourselves, but those around us. We need to see the needs of others. We need to embrace it. It needs to have that lasting effect upon us. What do I mean by that? You see, it's in suffering. It's in times of trials that we gain access to a very peculiar channel or road to travel on, which is what? To see our true neediness. Some in recent days in our own congregation were walking in what Steve Meister reminded us upon last Sunday night, that deep, deep valley. But those deep valleys of suffering are sent to do what? To show us our true neediness. To show us that we are not God. It makes us dependent upon him. And it produces, or at least it should produce, humility in and through us. We need to be utterly reliant upon him. The only one who can act. The only one who can bring about salvation. And the only one who who will fulfill his righteous promise. Brothers and sisters, let us not run away from such opportunities. Let us lean heavily upon God. We all want the easy life, don't we? No one in this room this evening came in and said, Oh, I hope there's a big trial coming for me. No one tonight said about bringing hardness upon me. We don't want those things. We want things as easy as possible. But our Bible tells us that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And over and over and over again, Christ reminds us that this life would be anything but easy. It would be difficult. It would be hard if we forsake all to follow him. 
young person. The Christian way is not an easy way. It is a very difficult and hard road. Why? Because we see ourselves truly who we are. Sinful. And yet as a believer, we do not walk this road alone. The Christian life may be hard. The Christian life may be difficult. But when the going gets tough, open your mouth and sing praises to God and tell him how much he is to you. We need to forsake all. That rich man who came to Christ and said, but I have followed all the rules. Christ said, give all of your money away. And he couldn't do it. I ask you this evening, if you do not know Christ, what are you holding on to? What is it that prevents you from saving faith. Believer. Although we may like the psalmist long for God to act. And not to leave us oppressed. It is often. Often. Through these trials that we are in a way inclined to depend upon God more. The apostle said when I am weak then I am strong. This evening I ask you, believer, where is your strength? Where is your strength? I pray that your strength is in Christ and in Him alone. For when I am weak, then I am strong through Him. Second of all, pledge of good the pledge of good what do Christians sing in their misery what do we hope in tonight I ask you what do you hope in honestly how can we persevere in doing good through our sufferings? The answer is that we have the hope that the psalmist here longed for. Verse 122 is such a special verse. Give your servant a pledge of good. We have as believers sitting here this evening, that sure pledge of God's final deliverance seen most clearly in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who walked this sin-laden fallen earth that we live on today. Yesterday we were reminded at the conference that we need to remember something. That the Lord Jesus Christ was Fully human. Yes, fully God. And yes, fully man. 
And even as we were reminded this morning, our minds cannot fully grasp all of these things. And yet we believe it. And we read off it that Christ walked this very pilgrim way that we do. His life was the very fulfillment of the promise that the psalmist looked to. God's word tells us that he was made in his very own image to share in his rule and his reign. And yet what do we do? We kick against it. We kick against it like Adam and Eve did. Back in the garden, did God really say? And back there, sin entered the earth. But God. But God in his love and his mercy promised to send that seed. That pledge of good. That offspring of the woman to restore God its rule and reign again. And to save those who were lost. Some who sit in this room this very evening. Jesus would suffer. He'd be beaten. And he'd be mocked. He'd be deserted. He'd be crucified for our sins, for the rebellion against God. God saw fit to lay on Christ the trespasses that were due to us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. What do the Christians sing in his misery? Hymns like that. It's all to Christ we owe. Jesus, now raised from the dead, lives to intercede for those who would come to him in faith and repentance. This evening I ask you, where do you stand before a holy God? You were asked this morning, with our pastor, with the heaviness upon him, the same can be said tonight. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you know Him as your Lord? If not, then run. Run to the cross. Run to the only one who can save you from your sins. And if you do so, If you do so, you will know the salvation of the Lord. Friends, Jesus Christ is the pledge that we see here in 122. He's that assurance of good that God so bountifully gives to those who trust in his righteous promise. Some may say, Merv, are you sure? Saint of God, what other hope is there? Nothing this world has to offer. Nothing that the devil might whisper in your ear can even come close, can even even tick a little bit of what Christ can do for you. Did God really say he could save a one as vile as you? Yes. Yes, he did. He can save sinners. Look around, he saved wretched sinners like us. 
Christ has paid the price for our sins. Sinner, I ask you this evening, what pledge of good do you have? If you sit there and you remain in your sinful condition, the pledge that you have is eternal damnation. It's not a pledge of good. It's a pledge of hell and that for all of eternity. I urge you this evening, repent and believe. Do not leave it another day. No man knows what a day may bring forth and you most certainly do not. Repent. And believe in the goodness of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed you shall be saved. Not maybe, might be, no. You shall. Take God at his word. Thirdly then this evening. Bandaged by the word. Vital to understand this hope. Is the reason that we can sing in our misery. And it's because of the written word of God. God's plan for us is to do what is just and right, even through suffering. And yet through it, he bandages us. He covers us and he binds us up in his word. 124, deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Being assured of our surety in Jesus is rooted in the very knowledge of God's written word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where have you sought to be assured of your salvation this evening, believer? Has it been in the blessing that you have received from God? Or has your identity as God's child been rocked by that sudden loss of success or health or relationships? This evening, brothers and sisters, we need to be rid of all forms of false gospels. There is no other gospel. Because all other gospels are a complete distortion of the one true gospel. Rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that every day in which the insolent might oppress you, he has won the battle. He has fought the good fight. He has defeated death that we as God's children might live clothed in his righteousness. It is finished, was his cry. Not maybe, not in a week or two, not in the future. No, dear saint of God, it is finished. That is our hope of salvation, that Christ has Paid it all. All to him 
I owe. And God so wishes to cover and to bind and protect you with his word, his gospel. We need that belt of truth in these days more than we actually realize. At times we put it on when it suits us. But it should be put on each and every day. Your pursuit of righteousness amidst sufferings will be directly proportionate to your knowledge and intimacy with the Scriptures. When you're going through dark times and going through hard times, we need to be tightly bound by God's life-giving Word. We need, as it were, to be bandaged in it. Think of your children. At least I can speak of mine. When a little red-headed guy would happen to cut his finger, normally the box of bandages come out, and it's not one. It's about four he puts on, and then he takes them off because he wants to see what it looks like, and he puts more on, and he puts more on, until the box of bandages are all gone. That's how you need to be, dear Christian. When you get scarred and you get wounded, you need that bandage of the Word of God to cover you. You need to seek God's Word, as it were, to cover those things that come upon you. Trials and tribulations. Being in God's Word is of the utmost importance. You see, by knowing God's gospel, By knowing the word, you will be able to fend off foes and temptations to sin. But on the other hand, a shallow knowledge of the gospel will only leave you exposed and that living bait for sin. I urge you this evening, be in the word of God. Meditate upon the word of God day and daily. Sing the word of God. Is your knowledge of the word, is it that that tonic for your soul each and every day? Or is it something you only do on this day? I was reminded yesterday of something as well. Our forefathers, when they wrote the confession, began with the word of God. The Holy Scriptures. Do we take these things serious, brothers and sisters? Honestly. Or is this something we do on a Sunday? And if we're not here, well, Jeff or Merv may text me and ask me where I am. Does your heart want to be here this evening? Do you want to hear the words of God as they're read, as they're expounded? Tomorrow morning when you open your eyes and your Bible is setting, will you read it? Wednesday morning, Friday morning, 
Where is your heart for these things, brothers and sisters? You see, the reality of these things are that just like a coin, there are two sides. I said to the man in the back that Jeff and I, sermons overlapped and we didn't sit down or type this up together. But there are two sides to a coin. The righteous promise of Christ is ours, is that assurance of good. Yet at the same time, this gospel is equally condemning. For those, those who reject the salvation of God, the righteous promise of Christ, God's gospel also brings certain and sure judgment. Look at verse 126. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Praise God that for the Christian, God has acted most triumphantly in Christ. Those who, are, who have placed their trust in Christ receive that assurance and that hope and those promises of forgiveness from sins. But, but, those who do not, those who reject the purposes of God, the good news of the gospel, will perish. This evening, where would you find yourself right now if God were to act and bring about his final salvation? If that trumpet sounded, then time was no more. How would you stand before a holy God? You hear it this morning, you hear it again this evening. I beg of you this evening, do not harden your heart towards God's greatest gift of Christ. God will act. And God will judge. And as surely as he will save those who cling to Christ, he is both merciful and just. God will bring justice. And that is a fearful, fearful thing. You young people, you have been brought up in Christian homes and you hear these things day in and day out. Tonight I urge you, run to Christ. There is a day coming. There is a day coming when justice will be served. And you will stand before that throne alone. Not with your brother or your sister. Not with your mother or your father. Not with your grandparents, but alone. And God will either say two things to you. If you know Christ, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But fearfully, fearfully he could say, depart from me, I never knew you. Justice is coming. All of us in this room will give an account. Every single one. Walk according to that. 
You see, such good news as found in his precious word should produce in us that dual pledge of two commitments, love for his word and a hatred of every false way. Therefore, in verse 127, therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. You see, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, there is those temptations, as it were, to throw in the towel. To throw it in doing what is right and what is just. Perhaps friends and colleagues at work are are asking you to compromise on your faith. And the burden and the wearing down becomes over and over and over again. Perhaps your job is asking you to work on the Lord's Day, not once or twice, but all the time. Perhaps your neighbors, because they know you are believers and you've spoken to them, do vile things against you. Throw things in your yard and yell things at your name. And the temptation at times is to chuck it all in. But do not. Because look what the psalmist says. Even after all that what he has written here of being, what he has gone through all the hatred and all the evil against him. He pledges to love God's word and to hate all evil. You see, as trials come, we we need to understand our dependence on him. Our eyes long for that final salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. The very act of clinging to God's gospel and the word produces in us that desire and that longing for the very word of God. It's a longing far above fine gold. It should be a longing far above anything that this fading world has to offer. Trials should desire or or produce in us a desire and a longing for the gospel of God. And we should have that callous, as it were, grow harder against the false way, against evil. When the name of our Savior is taken in vain, what do we do? When men sit around a table and talk such filth that is, is, is so bad to your ears, what do we do? When someone tempts us to walk off the Christian path, what should we do? The psalmist says it clearly. We're to hate every false way. In the days we live in, that word hate is a word that people are fearful to say. And yet the psalmist says, I hate every false way. Brother and sister, do we do that? The way of the gospel is the way of righteousness. And the way of righteousness should be that, that hatred of sin. How are we dealing with our sins in these days? Are we confessing them or are, as, as it were, are we clinging on and holding on to them? Those darling sins. 
So I ask you, what do Christians sing in their misery? We sing Christ. We sing and we pray and we glory in our suffering. Knowing that, as Paul said, it, it is producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God has given us that ultimate pledge of good. His very own Son, the one who bled, the one who died, the one who rose for us. Brothers and sisters, this evening, love and cherish his gospel. Hate every false way, for indeed God's salvation, his final salvation, is coming. I'm sure if you've sat there this evening and I've asked that question, what should we sing? We all have our favorite hymns. We all have those hymns that when trials and tribulations come, that we can think in our minds. And if we've got enough strength in our bodies that we can open our lips and hopefully if our voices aren't too bad, the cats won't begin to screech or anything else. But we sing. In 1867, William Howe had to take, take a stand for the truth. He sung. He wrote this hymn that we we're about to sing in the face of adversity, in the face of trial, in the face of doing what is just and right, and yet his oppressors were trying to overtake him. He sought that pledge of good, even though the insolent were oppressing all around him. His eyes were longing for that salvation that would come, that final salvation, that that righteous promise of Christ would come, and he penned these words. And why did he pen them? Because he was fighting that evil of evolution. Men were going down the road of the Big Bang. And William Howe, as you can see from what he has written here, took a stand and did get some backlash for what he wrote. Because in his words, he writes this, O word of God incarnate, O wisdom from on high, O truth unchanged, unchanging, O light of our dark sky, we praise thee for the radiance that from the hallowed page a lantern to our footsteps shines on from age to age. Christian, what should you sing? The church from her dear master received the gift divine, and still that light she lifteth o'er all the earth to shine. It is the golden casket where gems of truth are stored. It is the heaven-drawn picture of Christ, the living word. It floateth like a banner before God's hosts unfurled. It shineth like a beacon above the darkling world. It is the chart and compass that o'er life's surging sea Mid mists and rocks and quicksands still guides, O Christ, to thee. Church, what should you sing? 
O make thy church, dear Savior, a lamp of purest gold to bear before the nations thy true light as of old. O teach thy wandering pilgrims by this their path to trace till clouds and darkness ended they see thee face to face. Christian, that is what we sing. We sing Christ and him glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And, O oh Lord, even though we walk through this veil of tears and we walk through this pilgrim way that is difficult and hard, we know that we do not walk it alone. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us this evening by your word. Lord, even this week when we go into sometimes hard and difficult circumstances, let us pause, let us pray, let us meditate. And at times, O Lord, let us sing. And let us do so to your glory and to your honor. Lord, again, we pray for those that know you not. Even this morning and this evening, they've heard that gospel message. We pray, O Lord, that it would not fall on deaf ears. We pray, O Lord, that you would open eyes and ears to the things of Christ. And that even later this evening, we'd hear that wonderful news of a soul being saved. Lord, encourage our hearts, for we ask these things in and through Christ's precious name. Amen.